Come now, all your manger dogs. Swab the decks and hoist the sails. The guns on board be needed some proper manum. Pieces of eight and a fine wench on your arm. If you work, be not too shoddy. Careful not to flounder too badly, though, or you may have to dance the hemp and jig as we see you to Davy Jones. The Jeffy, my boy, on with the show. Well, shiver me timbos. To our listeners from across all regions of the planet, welcome once again aboard the Robin Hood, flagship to the world's one and only cooperatively inspired charity podcast network, WPRPN. Live streaming from under some of South Korea's most heavily sprayed mid-November skies, you're listening to episode 130 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. I'm your host, as always, the ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. American expat, mystic, poet, and top-notch Minds.com personality, Pirate Mike Hopkins is the Robin Hood's feature guest joining us this week via Sweden. Patching through from Asia to Scandinavia a couple days ago, our combined time zone and scheduling differences forced us to package this as a largely pre-recorded affair. It's a clean, crisp, and compelling listen all the same as we traverse a whole host of areas ranging anywhere from the sad state of online social media, all things Sweden, the poet's life, ufology, and the mysteries of mystical healing. As always, be sure to share with us your most in-the-moment thoughts, URL web links, and commentary via our channel's live peanut gallery chat box area. All right, yes indeed. Via Sweden, this week our special guest, American expat, Minds.com personality and poet, Mike Hopkins. We had him on Skype there just a moment or two ago, so hoping that he's still standing by at the ready. It's a Sunday night here in South Korea, about 7 p.m. in Sweden, I guess it's almost... 11, 11 a.m. Sure, so eight-hour time difference. It's a pre-recorded event. Some people don't quite understand what that is. It's live, but we're streaming what we've pre-recorded out live to the world now this Friday night. Special weekly feature guest. So yeah, it's been a while in the making here, and uh, it's great to finally uh, connect in this virtual sense. Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm honored to be on your show. It's it's I see it as a sort of privilege to speak to so many. Well, you know, actually, there are more people who, after we work on getting that post-produced, mastered audio out there and uploading it to archive.org, you'd be surprised the number of people that actually do drop by and download what we provide to them in form oh, of digital treasure. I understand. I mean, YouTube's uh, statistics aren't accurate anyhow. Google statistics aren't even close to accurate. And then you never know who, who uploads it to a blog or here or there. 
or by themselves. So you really never know how many are listening when you're dealing on the Internet. That's my opinion, anyhow. I think you could reach hundreds of thousands when you think you only reached a few hundred or a few thousand. I really do. Actually, I was just looking at your Google Plus the other day, or maybe it's called G Plus. I'm not sure what the precise the name brand. Uh, Google Plus. All right. Well, you've got quite a decent following there, along with Minds.com and Gab.ai, which I recently uh, got on board with, as well as just the broader WPRPN.com network. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know, but before we get into any of this, social media and the like, and we did meet via Minds.com. We happened to see you surfing about and adding the occasional comment and so on and so forth and thought, gee, you know, this is the type of guy that would make for an interesting guest to have dropped by the Robin Hood. So why don't you just kind of let listeners know then, back things up a little bit, as we typically do here, let people in on who Mike Hopkins is, how you ended up in Sweden, but also just your formative years as well, too. Just a brief overview, if you will. Well, I was born in the year of 1954 in uh, Chicago, Illinois, pretty much working class. Dad was a, a, a tradesman, and uh, Mom was a stay-at-home mom. We had a little bungalow with a small garden behind. I thought life was okay. We weren't rich. We weren't poor. I was able to go to summer camp. That was the big deal. I was in Boy Scouts every year for two weeks uh, summer camp. That was the highlight of my life up in northern Michigan. I was always an introspective sort of kid. I hated every second of school, but I was an excellent student. I would get the paper and it would take me one minute to fill it out. And here you go, teacher. And what's next? And so Life was, I mean, in my opinion, life was okay. I didn't have all these millennium problems, wanting so much and needing so much. Uh, I was a bit of a toughie, too. I never let anyone bully me. or I always stood up to anybody, even if it was two or three people. I would never back down. The first time I was bullied, I think I was six years old in the school ground. And this kid, he was a big guy. He was uh, three years ahead of everyone else. In those days, they set you back. If you were a bit slow, you repeated the same grade. And uh, I would say he was a little handicapped. And he was everyone. He terrorized everybody. And one day he pushed me, and I looked him straight in the eye, and I said, you will not do that again. You will not push me or touch me. I will not allow it. You know, I was six years old. I don't even know where the words came from. And he looked at me and he said, well, everyone else lets me do it. And I said, well, I'm not everyone else and you're not allowed. And if you try to do it, I'm going to fight back. I'm not going to let you touch me. And after that, it was like, oh, okay. And he walked away. And from then on, this guy was like my, uh, he was like my muscle. He was like my protector. <laughs> and I always treated him with respect and we got along fine. And no problems with bullying. So I was always fighting. And I mean, I would get so beat up sometimes the blood would be running over my eyes and I would be screaming and I would keep, and they would run away from me. So after a while, you know, I didn't have to fight anymore. 
the reputations for it. And that was that. So I'm sort of a kind of guy that's not easily threatened or intimidated. That's why I speak so freely. Uh, all these, you know, you get warnings on social media. Oh, don't say that. Oh, be careful. Uh, I think it's bullshit. These people eavesdropping and listening, they could get into your email, your, your, uh, hear your telephone conversations, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, why be afraid of it? And at my age, I, I don't have to be so afraid. When I was a young man, I think I was much more afraid of things. You had jobs to worry about and paying the rent and, and you know, paying the car payment. But at my age, my wife and I have it okay. Like I said, we're not rich or we're not poor, but we have a small nest egg. If we wanted to, I would like to go totally off grid. I think we could pull it off. The problem is today, where the hell do you go? Sweden's going to hell. We've been looking at some other countries. I've been thinking of going to the southern U.S., where the militia types are. But uh, we'll see. Sweden will probably be unlivable within two years with the uh, mass immigration and all the uh, violence now and, and crime. But anyhow, that's me. I was a good student in uh, high school. I finally buckled down in high school and became an honor student, and I got a scholarship to a university and did well, made dean's list, but still I hated every minute of it. To me, it was duty. You know, I, I guess I'm the product of the 60s. You do your duty, chin up, stuff it in, and go on. But I've done a number of different, I've sold insurance, and I did quite well at it. You know, it's a, it, people trusted me and I did well, but when I started to get black, what I call black, and lose my principles and things, then I just walked away from it. I've been both blue-collar and white-collar. The last few years in the States, I was moving around a lot. I moved from Chicago to Maine and managed to get a decent job. And then we moved back to Sweden again, and I was here three years, and then we went back to New Hampshire, and then we ended up in Maine again, and then we ended up coming back here. So I've been here about 12 years. Time flies. So now I basically, uh, I work on and off here. It's a, it's a pretty tough work environment. You pretty much have to have friends or family to get a job here. It's totally controlled society. It's, uh, forget about any justice system. It's corrupt from the bottom to the top. The Swedes are great at PR, projecting this image of neutrality and then we're the nice guys and they're giving billions away to everyone. Now there's such a censorship. It used to be in the mainstream media. You could get a lot on the news here. It was very open, very open system. People were very talkative, but now it's like people are clams. The government is hiring uh, journalists to hunt down people on the Internet, and they're getting fines, and uh, they're mainly picking on the older people. It's a funny society. It seems like they pick on the weak and the elderly here. Pretty cowardly people. And the people coming here are pretty cowardly, too. They only pick on the weak. They're, uh, I mean, sucker-punching 70-year-old ladies and robbing them. I mean, it's disgusting in my view. You just don't do things like that. It's not very... Uh... So I've never had a problem with them. I've stood up to many in the past, and they backed down. So I'm getting a little old, though. 
my wife worries about me. She thinks I'm going to get murdered one day. But uh, right now I'm keeping a lower profile because there's some real jihadi types and military-looking big guys coming in now. So you have to be a bit more careful in this environment. Well, that is a pretty decent quality overview and rundown of your life story in a nutshell, basically. So many things we want to talk to you about this week, including how it was that you ended up... Why Sweden? Did it have something to do with uh, meeting your wife, perhaps? Well, it's a long story. It started in 1991. I was back and forth between university. I went a few years and I dropped out and I worked 10 years and decided to go back. So I think I was 33 when I graduated. But anyhow, in 1991, I happened to uh, be taking a class in environmental education at my university. And there was a group from Sweden visiting. So I met all these Swedish teachers and it was really nice. The next year, I decided to sign up and get in the class myself. This was for graduate school. So they wanted like two or three Americans in the class just so they could have some interactions with Americans. And I lived with them, and uh, pretty much it was it was intense. It was a full day. We, I slept over. We had dormitories and what I call a mess hall. And we ate in groups. And I got to know these were Finnish people. So... You know, I hit it off with them. They really liked me. So that I got many invitations. So then I ended up going to Finland for a month and visiting from town to town to town. And this led me. And in between, I was going. I also, there was a Swede in the class. So I ended up in Sweden three days in the beginning and Sweden four days at the end. And then along the way, I would meet people on the train. And they oh, you come meet me. And then one thing leads to another. And it turns out my later I came back and I told my massage therapist about my nice trip. And she said, oh, my friend owns a massage school, alternative medicine school outside of Gothenburg, Sweden. So, oh, I'd like to hook you up with him. So then I had some other gifts too, healing gifts and, and intuitive and clairvoyance and different things. So some people knew about me. I was pretty private about it, but I got a little bit of a name in the area. And on the East Coast, I was working with some people. So I built up a small reputation. So I ended up back at this place, and I I was invited to a lecture, a conference. So I spoke and did a little bit, and then I was invited back. And in between, my wife was connected to the school, so that's how we met. And then I came back again. I I was able to come back again after a year, and then my wife and I, we hooked up, and uh, I ended up living in Sweden for four months. And then, uh, you know, we we had a relationship a while, so we ended up uh, living together, and then... um, it rained every day for three months, and I told her, uh, I can't take it. I have to go. I can't take this crazy country. And I was treated so badly by immigration and these bureaus, and, and I didn't really want anything. I was I can make all the money I wanted healing and, and lecturing. I was making quite a good income on the side, just up to, I could fill a place with 40 people. It took me just to few weeks to build up. People were coming more and more and more. So then I just decided, no, nah, no, nah, this is for me. 
I'm gonna go. And so we went back and we lived three years there and decided Chicago wasn't for us, ended up in Maine. And, uh, I was writing. I was doing inspirational writing too at that time. And, uh, what can I say? That didn't work out for my wife. America was a little tough. You know, Swedes can't, they need their social net. And I think it's ridiculous growing up in a nation without that security. And, and so, okay, we'll give it a go. So we went back and it worked a little better. She found work right away. And I was going to language classes and that didn't work too well. Being in the class was like being in a Middle Eastern classroom. It was pretty chaotic. There was no law and order there. You mentioned mediumship and clairvoyance. I think our listeners would be most interested in hearing more about this, and perhaps if you could give us some examples of these abilities and even to the point of uh, would you be able to perform? No, 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 no. Demonstrate? No, <laughs> no I don't do it. Payment. I'm I'm pretty much out of it. Right. I, I keep that low key. Right now, I stick to my. If if you really read my poetry or my inspirational writing, you can see it's quite insightful. If you spend a little time, if you're sensitive, I mean, it's not for everyone. It seems like sensitive people they get it, but not everyone gets it. But I keep it low key. But I I can tell you things like when I was a little boy. I used to see, it was like daydreaming. I used to, uh, when I was walking to school, I would see future events in the playground. I would, it would, it was like seeing a movie in your head and I would see something play out. And then later that day at recess, I would see the exact thing play out exactly. And I would think, oh, and then with my mind, I would think, how can I change this? So I would try to change it. It never would change. It would always play out, but it was always short term. And then later in life, I had long term visions and I would see the future. I would see possible world wars and stuff. It actually, it was something in Korea many years ago. I dreamt and I saw, I saw newspapers with all these headlines and I, I could read the text and this event would happen and this thing would happen. And about four months later, there was an event in Korea, but it wasn't as extreme as I saw it. So then I held the theory that if someone views it, it they change it. Right. Can you recall what event this was that you uh, foresaw in your mind, the vision you had? Oh, it was it was late 80s or early 90s, but it was another one of it's these false flags, whatever deals. But anyhow, I've had several of these over the years. Sometimes I just know I'm going to meet somebody, and I do. Or you think the phone's going to ring, and then someone's going to call you, and they do. Sometimes I know when people are going to die, and they do. It's little things. I, I never got into it. I mean, Ouija boards I stay away from when I was about... 15, my aunt and my cousins coaxed me into doing a Ouija board, and I predicted the exact day of my grandfather's death 10 years later, and he died the exact day. Uh, but that stuff I didn't deal with because there were all kinds of nasty entities that came. But 
it takes a while to get a handle on this kind of thing. You have to have a lot of balance. When I write, I used to have this ritual. I meditate, I pray, I sage. Then I sit quietly and ask for, I always ask for something good, like, what message can you give me will do good for a lot of people? And then I would, I could write for an hour straight and the words just flow. I don't even think. It's like I'm in a half trance. And then I would always put it away and then I read it later. It's like perfect grammar. It makes a lot of sense. And I think, God, this is beautiful. I wrote this. Wow. And some of my poetry is like that. My longer poetry, I go into like a half trance. It's totally effortless. But, I mean, some of my poetry, I get one line of inspiration, then I work on it over the days, and I think about it, and change this verse and change that verse. So it's like I don't know where the inspiration, where it starts, and I, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's fascinating. I, for a number of years, practiced, worked at the art and craft of songwriting. Pretty much I understand what you're saying as far as... uh the channeling of uh, inspiration as it arises and the spirit more or less guiding us, presenting certain fragments of information. Sometimes it, it comes out all in one full package. Other times, as you say, it takes a little more time to reflect upon and, and things need to be uh, to stew and percolate. So what I'd like to ask you about now, though, just kind of... Uh, shifting the focus a little bit is your purported your skills or your ability as far as a healer is concerned you mentioned this in our email correspondence talking about how you over the years have demonstrated these abilities but then also you became targeted and somewhat persecuted you know there's a lot of professional jealousy out there wherever you look whatever uh, area you happen to find yourself part of these days, as so often been the case, it seems. But uh, yeah, if you could speak to that a little bit. And on top of this all, these skills and, and gifts, I guess, is maybe the best way of referring to things when it comes to mediumship or clairvoyance or being on hands. Is this not a family affair? It could be because both sides of the family, on my father's side, they were sub farmers in Tennessee, and they go way back. Uh, they go pre-Revolutionary War days. And it turns out there were clairvoyants in the family. Many years ago, I could follow reincarnation lines. I could follow genetic lines with my mind. I mean, it was like seeing a movie. It was amazing. I'm not so sensitive now. I'm much more balanced. It's better to be that way. And I could see back in the 1850s, there were two relatives, and they were like diamonds. I mean, talk about pure white light. They were like what I would call an avatar, half divine, half God, half man. And actually ended up to uh, be a lieutenant in the Confederate cavalry. He was in the 5th Tennessee. You know, I, we have a family graveyard back there, and you could see how many... I mean, there's about six graves. Five of them died at Shiloh, and one died at War of 1812. But still, you know, people have all these images. So, you know, if you're spiritual, you, you eat fruit and you vegetables and you never harm a book. Well, here was a man that was like saint, and he ended up fighting in the Civil War. 
people have all these notions. Life doesn't work like that. You could be a bodhisattva, or whatever you call it, and you could be laying in the gutter a fucking drunk. Life doesn't work like that, and reality doesn't work like that. But anyhow, I'm getting off track. But I guess I always had this healing gift because I can remember many years ago, one day a little girl fell on a bike and I just touched her lightly and she was calm as a leaf and she smiled and thanked me. And I've had people freaking out physically and I just put my hand on them and all of a sudden they're totally calm. So I've had this over the years, but I think I never recognized it till I was almost 40. And then one day I was in like a steam bath with all these essential oils, and I heard a voice, and it said, you will be a great healer and teacher one day. And I was like, wow, you know, am I going nuts, hallucinating, or what is this? And and the voice said again, yes, you will be a great teacher and healer. After that, everything opened up. Actually, I started meeting people. I found a little magazine with an advertisement for taking some angel healing class and I didn't want to do it but it kept staring me in the face over it wouldn't let me go so I said oh shit I'm going to do this this thing won't let me go so I went and I met some real famous woman author she wrote several books and she was a channeler and and, uh, she looked at me and she said oh you can do this too and I said yeah I can and then there was a woman with some big problems and she said, oh, you take care of this woman. You go off with her alone. And so I talked to her, and I did my little hocus-pocus, and the woman was fine. Later I got home, and my credit card bill was erased. It was, you know, I paid for this event, and I got it totally free. didn't have to pay anything. So I guess it was repayment. No one ever said anything. And then I ended up being invited to a lecture in Sweden, and I went there. Then I came back again, and then I started healing. I Oh, I did some healings on the East Coast. I actually saw a man's leg. He had a severe burn. He was getting medical treatment, and I just put my hands on him and talked to him, and I got the insight, oh, Transfer the energy through your heart, and you'll have a great... It was just instant, and I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I did that, and I saw his leg. It was all red and scaled. It was really a severe burn. And I saw a change before my eyes. It went from all these scabs and things to a light red, and it ended up pink. And the man was in severe pain. And uh, he was walking. He couldn't walk. He was, like, with hobbling. And all of a sudden, he's, he's straight. I mean, he's walking straight, he's feeling great, and uh, all I got out from it, then they invited me back. They totally paid a trip for me through New England, paid all the hotels, all the food. They were so grateful. So this sort of started, and then I ended up in Sweden, and I was lecturing, and I didn't charge, I charged like 100 Swedish crowns. It was like an hour and a half session. It was nothing, $20 or something, or $15 at the time. And I would give free healings. They would listen to the lecture, but I would not charge anything for the healing. And I would line up third. I would line up ten people and walk. And uh, I was in good shape. That healing's like being an Olympic athlete to be at a high level. You have to get your frequency up. It's all about frequency and changing frequencies. 
And uh, I was meditating, praying, and uh, watching diet, and and, and exercising, and and uh, so then things were going good. More and more people were showing up, and then I learned lessons in life: never do healings with other professionals because then the jealousy comes in. The normal people that didn't know anything about hocus pocus or ESP or healing, they were the ones that took biggest effects, and I had people coming back. They had problems, major health problems they had for years. And they came, come back in a couple of weeks and says, it's totally gone. You know, things like diabetes, really serious conditions. Oh, it's totally gone. I'm perfectly healthy now. I don't have that problem anymore. Allergies and things were disappearing. And then word spread about this. And, and then the bad mouthing started. Oh, he's a fraud. He's a phony. He's a, I was doing it free too. These people were charged from 400 to 1,000 Swedish crowns per session. And then I got in trouble, too, because I would be, while they were doing their healing, I was staying at this in a dormitory in this school, and I would be sitting out on the bench during the day, you know, just meditating. It takes a lot out of you when you're doing stuff like this. You deal with 30, 40 people. It's a lot. And then I would see them come out, and they would be so unbalanced and, and so messed up. I would say, oh, oh, yeah, weren't you at the lecture? You know, I would, I would sort of be the trickster, like the Indians say, the coyote, the trickster, who's often the healer. I would talk to them, and, uh, and then they would be happy and calm, and they would go away. You know, I wouldn't want to see them go away like that. It's such a mess. So then these people would start calling me up and asking me for help instead of the people that were making money. And this is when the trouble started. You know, I was always honest with them, always forthright. I mean, if you're going to work in these areas, you better be honest and forthright. Otherwise, you turn to the dark side. And it's true. I've seen many with great light and great abilities go dark and go black. And it was all based on whatever your hook is. It's lust for women or sex or money or power. This business being like this, it's all a balancing act. You have to stay in the middle. It's like the old Buddhist thing, walking the razor's edge. It's true. You have to be so careful and so strong in yourself, and you have to be so uh, knowing your path in life and staying on it and not being diverted. It's all about this. But anyhow, all of a sudden, they're telling everyone I'm a fraud, I'm a charlatan, I have no ability. People they were telling this to were saying, no, that's not true. Mike, I've never experienced this. This is real healing. No one has ever, out of all the people I've seen in the last 20 years, no one has ever helped me with my problem. And so this shut them up. So then they changed their story, and they decided that my abilities, I was like evolved 100,000 years more than all of them, and they didn't. no one understood me, you see? <laughs> it, it, it's amazing with these lies how it becomes so involved it's like politics but then I was so psychically attacked there were some some healers tune in and clairvoyants tune into the wrong energy you know they use guides and many of them are sometimes demonic or what I call elementals or spirits they were here long before we arrived it's like, I think we came from some other dimension and we inhabited human bodies, which at the time were animals, but a highly more functioning animal. And I think we ended up 
descending from heaven as angels and got involved in this physical, sensual game and lost our way in a way. And maybe that's the whole trip, trying to find our way back to what we already are, which is sort of silly. It's sort of an Edgar Casey approach. If you read many of the Edgar Casey books, he talks about this being fallen angels. I guess Jesus talked about it. Ye are gods and know it not. Once again, a pretty decent quality overview of your spiritual life and history. Bit of a glimpse, insight into the way that, as best as I can refer to it, the New Age industry functions and operates on some levels at least, very much geared toward making money, doing what they can to lighten your your wallet, as it were. And along with that, the whole business of professional jealousy, too. So... Now, I'm not sure if there's anything more you want to add to that. We've taken a look and a bit of a peek into your history, once again, as a clairvoyant and a medium of sorts. You've given examples of uh, what you felt were healing skills or abilities being demonstrated at uh, various, you know, anecdotal evidence points, course of your life. So uh, we'll have to leave that to the the listeners to decide what they managed to make of things. Uh, quite fascinating from just here listening to you share this information with us. Uh, the best place to take things right now, though, I think, is just to remind people they are listening to episode 130 of Pirate Radio Podcasts. We are talking this week with American expat now living in Sweden. I think is what he said the past 12 years or so. Mike yes. Hopkins, former resident of Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I myself, of course, your host as always, the show's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. You know, it's interesting, speaking of Chicago, we've actually got a good friend of the show, fellow pirate matey here, Pirate Joe, Joey Boomer, who's on, well, Facebook and Minds. Uh, I'm not sure if he's got on board via Gab or not. It's something that we actually decided to do just this past week. So things taking off quite nicely over there. But uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll be interested in hearing about your life history and experience via Chicago. You're both about the same age bracket as well, too, interestingly. So, you know, we could take the conversation anywhere you like right now, including social media, the fact that I was going to ask you a little bit about Red Ice Creations, given the fact they are situated out of Sweden. You might be uh, someone who tunes into their show from time to time. There's been a recent election, of course, too. Let's not forget. I know you're getting into the immigration issue a little bit, kind of skirting around things, and we could definitely delve a little further into that whole area. On top of that, though, let's just see here as far as actual talking points, what we've put down. Well, let's remind listeners, too, this is a pre-recorded affair. The reason that we've had to do this, naturally, is because of the time zone issues, mostly. The fact that if we had have done this live and straight off the floor, as we typically like to do, poor Mike over there in Sweden would be having to get up, I think, around 5 or 6 in the morning, so... Why put him through that bother when we could do it this way? You yourself, of course, too. Let's 
just to remind listeners too, you have a web presence over on Gab, over on Minds, Minds.com, Gab.ai. I'm not sure. You're not really much of a Facebook fan, but where can people find you just in social media besides Gab and Minds? Uh, there's Google Plus, I think is what I had brought up earlier and was quite impressed actually the number of followers. I started on G Plus. I think it was one week or two weeks after it started. I was one of the first. I think there were only 500,000 when I started. So I got in at, at really at the ground floor. But they've been doing funny things. I actually had more followers, and they used to show views. And many, many years ago, I had 15 million views. I mean, several years ago. But they took that away. How I consider Google, they're doing evil. They forgot their model. They're a nasty bunch, as is Facebook. Actually, they're bigger culprits than Facebook. I mean, uh, Google's the devil and uh, himself or herself, and Facebook's the uh, uh, demon. <laughs> it's interesting you should mention this. Minds.com just recently removed the number of items that are part of any one of their groups. So the feed count has been completely eliminated now. All you're left with is members and conversations, which that's something I thought was kind of unfortunate because there were a few groups that had evolved quite nicely over the past couple of years, and now people really are left with little idea what they're looking at other than how far and how deep the roots and history of each of these groups goes other than just what they can work with as far as member count is concerned, really. So, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. A little social media there. What are your thoughts on Gab then? And we will shift the focus back to minds in a few moments here, which, you know, everyone that listens to the show knows that I'm a pretty big booster and personally and fan of minds. I think quite honestly, they are the best thing going out there as far as protecting and standing up for freedom of speech and everything as far as, you know, booster points and the hashtag system, more or less. There's a few bugs and issues there. But, yeah, Gab is, is something new to us in particular here. So what are your thoughts on Gab and uh, just the general social media landscape, including the recent Pittsburgh shooting and them being taken offline? How about that? I haven't been on long on Gabs, and I'm not there so often. I just don't have a feel for it. It's okay. There's many of the Minds people are actually there and have hooked up with me there. I just tried it out. I've also been on MeWe, but I didn't like that. That place put me to sleep. For me, Minds is the uh, most interactive, and there's so many talented, talented people. I mean, unknown people, authors and, and poets and artists and musicians. And, and I think there's a lot of very influential people. Like I said, on the Internet, you really don't know how things spread. You could put out a meme or a, I could put out a poem, but I really don't know how much it spreads. It could reach hundreds of thousands, millions for all you know, because you can't follow all the, uh, I forgot what it's called, backlinks or whatever. You used to be able to follow backlinks, but even that's harder to do these days. Gap's okay. And of course, this shooting was just another excuse to, for the censors to, uh, put the lid on another free thinking organization or group. It's all about censorship. It's all about keeping people quiet. It's all about keeping people afraid. That's how I see it on the medias. I've been banned from 
Google Plus half a dozen times. But they have this three-week ban, and I always get back, and I never admit anything anyhow. And most of my bans came during the election time, the Hillary-Trump uh, election. That was the worst time on G+. But they're really nasty. I mean, once they shut down my blog, and I complained, I wrote them an email. I said, there's something wrong here. Why did they do it? They just said it was, it's the usual spam. Even mine accused me of spam and gave me a hell, but that's over with. We kissed and the Ottman boys and us kissed and made up. <laughs> Jeez, I've, I've, you spamming? I've never seen you spam. Typically. Oh, no, no. They accused me of being a bot. Can you oh, imagine? oh, jeez. I mean, me a bot. I mean, I, I write out. I mean, I'm interacting with people. Right. I'm forthright. I'm, I'm writing long comments. I mean, that's not the activity. I don't even have any boobs or butts around, <laughs> no asked for, to see on my, on my channel. But anyhow, you know, the, the thing with Google, it's gotten so bad. It was really nice. There were a lot of nice people, and uh, it was a great place, very interactive. And I mainly did it to promote my blog and my poetry and my writings. That's why I have been on all the medias. It's a good vehicle. How else are you going to reach people? I mean, I tried to get published years ago. I would get nice letters back. This happened more than once. Oh, you know, you're, you're an exceptional author and writer, but, you know, we have to pick things according to what the market is and what will sell, what we make money on. So there's so many gifted people out there that aren't being seen or heard. So I just decided one day, I'll just, why do I need money? I'll just share these messages and some people say they help them some people thank me i didn't even know the person you know they read this and it changed their whole life or this and that happened you really never know the effects of what you do in this world i had a dream once you know i was very discouraged and i thought oh you know many years ago no one's reading my writings no one's blah 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 and i was almost ready to throw in the towel and that night i had a dream I was out in this courtyard. I was facing a brick wall, but I could see through it. And in there, there were hundreds and hundreds of people. It was like a conference, and it was all about me and my my writings. They were reading them and talking about them. And it was almost like I was shown this not to give up and not be discouraged. And then I went into the room, and when I went into the room, no one knew who I was. But still, my writings were having a big effect on people, and I had fans, fans, fans. But I know just from statistics from different sites, and I've reached hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions for all I know. You know, some people just take it. I guess I've gotten some uh, college to I think I, college kids have probably plagiarized the hell out of my writings. <laughs> Because years ago, I used to have backlinks to uh, these uh, sites to check if it's uh, plagiarized or not. So I guess the uh, literature students were stealing my works. But as long as it gets out there, as long as they don't change it, then the message gets through. This is my attitude. I'm, I'm very persistent, very resilient. I'm stubborn like hell, and I've been since I was a little kid. Let's talk a little bit about your poetry then, seeing how you have brought it up. How many books have you published? Have you been attending poetry readings for 
quite a few years? Is there much of a scene in Sweden? And um, so on and so forth. Speaking of Sweden, I'm not sure if you want to give away the exact location or not, but are you based in perhaps Stockholm? or? No, I'm in a small town. I'll just say I won't give my location away because uh, this is like a Stasi state and uh, they're really nasty here. Let's just say I'm in a small town and I'm sort of south middle. I guess if you went a third or a little more between a third and halfway up, I'm in the sort of inland in a small town on a pretty good-sized lake. I'm on water. I'm five minutes from the water. and There's not much forest here. It's an agricultural region. But it, it's a nice little town. It's an, it used to be a nice little town until mass immigration. It's it's changing rapidly. It was smiling faces before and happy people and friendly people. They're not so friendly now. It's more uh, North Africans with hijabs, Somalians everywhere. And let's just say the after the big 215 was the big uh, wave. And uh, within one year, the town went from five rapes to uh, 46 or 56 rapes. So you figure out the percent. In one year, in the crime statistics. That's pretty dramatic, yeah. You know, and there's been a lot of talk about this whole issue in the news of the open door liberal immigration policy that Europe really has clear across the board what they've done in allowing this to come about via the Kalergi plan is what it seems. A lot of people talking about this now these days, of course. So... We were hoping to get into your poetry a little bit, but it's it's really up to you, I suppose, where you like to take the conversation. If you want to get into this business of mass immigration and all the, the chaos. We'll come back to the other because that gets a little heavier and a little darker. But, you know, I've been writing. Like I say, I just give it a read. I, I publish it on my blog and uh, different media sites. And I reach a lot of people and they like it. And uh, I've been in different poetry groups and things, but I don't care for that at all. When did you first start writing, though, Mike? That's one of the questions I like to know, and I'm probably, hopefully, some of our listeners as well, too. How lengthy has uh, your career been? Did you first get the bug when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Teenager, maybe. I used to, I wrote a lot of poetry, but it was more like political stuff. And uh, I had, oh, I threw out. I had a whole box full. I used to write it on paper and throw it in a box. And I did so much, and then I didn't do it for years. But for me, it's it's just, if it's not inspired, if it's not something that spreads some good or some, you know, love and peace and understanding, then why bother? There's so much shit. There's so much commercial garbage in the world. When you look at most of the art and music today, I call it the fame factory. It's created. These people are created. They're nothing. They're talentless, and boom, they're out there. But, you know, that's the way it, it, it works. If, if you want to make money, you have to control people. Let's say the, the ones they worship, this artist that makes uh, $10 million, if she's making $10 million a year, him, that means the people behind her are making $100 million or a billion. So this is how it works. You're just tools for other people. So I'm all into freedom of expression and this and that. And I I just decided, well, how am I going to reach the most people? I do it on my own. 
and I've, I've done very well with it. And I don't make any money. I don't make a cent. And why? I mean, I don't need it. I have a small, small income. So, and the wife's working, and we have a small nest egg. So, otherwise, it just gets into the whole greed thing. Like I said, I could go and live in a tent in the forest. I'd be happy if I have a stream of running water nearby me and some old trees that fall down now and then, so I could chop wood. I wouldn't mind. The way the world's going, that might be a fine existence. But anyhow, that's pretty pretty much the thing. It's uh, it's a free sharing sort of thing, and and uh, the motive is uh, maybe to put some better vibes in the world or raise the frequency a little. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe it's evil. But like I said, I try to keep balanced about it. I'm not a fanatic. The inspiration still comes. It's still flowing. I'm surprised. Usually it, it doesn't go this long. I could still heal if I really concentrate on it, but I hardly ever do it. And the less I talk about it, the less people know about it, and they no one's asking for anything. Well, you can bet some people are going to uh, hear this conversation that we've archived this week, and there's a good chance there might be a few who would be uh, trying to reach out to you, I suppose. So be prepared. Carl Jung was a name that came up. There was a comment that you left the other day on one of the shows that we did that oh, was archived via YouTube, and the name Carl Jung came up. Do you remember the exact context of things? His collective unconscious. He had a theory about the collective, and, and I mentioned Ralph Waldo Emerson. He had the oversoul. And Freud had, or was it Freud was the oversoul? But anyhow, uh, what this man was talking about, the Norwegian man, uh, about this mastermind, I mean, it's it's been mentioned in many contexts about some people even call it Edgar Cayce. It might have been the uh, Book of Time. You know, everything's recorded in the Book of Time, and all good deeds are recorded, and nothing goes unseen or un. Whatever. The Akashic Records or Akashic Records. Yes, yes, that's another one. That's another one. Yes, yes. It's all the same thing. People put their own spin on it. Jung was very intuitive, actually. If you read his writings, I think he was like clairvoyant or sensitive. Oh, oh, yeah. Do you know the story of him and Freud, the time that I think Jung was visiting Freud or might have been the other way around? But anyways, they were in the study and there were some books on the shelf. They got into a heated argument, uh, an exchange, and Young, regarding this business of uh, the occult, as it were, unseen forces, uh, you know, synchronicity and the like, and what Young said was that, just you wait, there's going to be uh, an occurrence, I can fe- feel some energy building here. I think he might have even said, Watch those books fly off the shelf, and that's exactly what happened. Something along those lines, basically. In fact, it was something, I believe, that repeated itself twice with this uh, poltergeist, almost, really, activity and uh, disruption, interference, which could not otherwise be explained. Are you familiar with the story? No, no, no. But I read, I read a few of his books, and in my college, in the library, there was a big volume of Jung. It was like a master Bible type thing, and I used to sometimes I would just 
take a break and, and strum through it and read sections of it. I mean, I've always been uh, the transcendentalist, the American authors, the transcendentalists in the middle 1800s. They, I was a big fan of them. Well, Thoreau, I never liked. When I read him, he felt, you know, I could feel the authors too, what they were like. He felt arrogant, too tense for me. Many uh, artists, it's more intellect, they're more intellectual than intuitive. It's more like a business thing. You're always selling yourself, promoting yourself, and uh, you have to be rather clever at this. Walt Whitman was probably my favorite of the transcendentalists. Because you could just feel that man. He was like an open-hearted mystic, almost like a grandfather type. Interesting. Yeah, Walt Whitman, a obviously major American literary figure oh, of the 19th century, I suppose, mid-19th century. 1850s. He wrote one book, but he, he revised it over many years. He only He had several editions. Leaves of Grass actually was uh, gifted to Bill Clinton, courtesy of none other than Monica Lewinsky, as I recall. So uh, uh, Allen Ginsberg, the famous beat poet, actually considered himself something of a scholar of Whitman. And uh, it's interesting that with that being the case, uh, some talk, discussion regarding Whitman's proclativity is, I've got to watch out these big $10 words, the uh, sexual leanings, basically, with homosexual activities, maybe even, I'm not sure if, uh, there's nothing really, I don't know, it's been proven in a... Being a pedophilia, are you? Pardon me? You're not going towards pedophilia, are you? What what sort of philia? Pedophilia. I think there's there's much talk of him being homosexual. Right. I, but I, I, whether he is or not, it's hard to tell. I actually did a research paper on him in college, and I went through several biographies. I read several books about him, and it was hard to say. I mean, he was a very sensual, open, good-hearted person. I mean, I read something that children would come to him and sit on his lap. They just came to him, and animals would come to him. So this is just the sign of a very open, good person, I think. I mean, he could have very well been. Just because you're homosexual doesn't mean you're not open-hearted and loving. It's ridiculous. Well, you know what's... You know, anti-gay. You know, only anti <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, only what? Anti-Antifa. Right. Only those ankle-biters I can't stand. <laughs> well, and you know, just going back to this whole business, Whitman, mysticism homosexuality, that the large majority of Native American shamans, as well as those that you find here in Korea for some reason, the males at least, they're gay. So go figure. It could be touching into the feminine side because the feminine is usually more intuitive and sensitive. It could be that, but I mean, there were whole cultures in ancient Hawaii they accepted homosexuality. It was no big deal. The American Indians, Plains Indians, they accepted it. They just said that was their nature and blah, 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 and let, let them be. I, I've often thought it's people are mixed up. It's like you could get stuck in the past and past lives. You're connected to some woman existence. You're hanging on to it. That's or right. Some feminine sure. Side of you. Yeah. I think it's a misdirection. I mean, my view, and this is my view, if you come here to be a man, be a man. 
If you come here to be a woman, you be a woman. This is what you came here to do. Play the part. Be honest. I mean, what, what's the point? What's the point of coming here? If you wanted to do the other thing, be a woman instead of a man. You know, this transgender thing and this transvestite thing, I think it's so ridiculous. To me, it's bordering on mental illness. Or you're so misdirected or so caught, you could get caught in past events or many sicknesses are getting caught. You could be in shock all your life and you don't realize it after a trauma. And it, it messes you up quite a bit. But not everyone can uh, insight on this or realize it and take care of it. Well, uh, homosexuality for the longest time was uh, in the eyes of the uh, psychiatric mental health establishment considered to be a disorder or mental disease of sorts, most definitely, until they decided to, the powers that be, that is, take it out of the, what is it, Diagnostical Statistics Manual, DSM. So all politics, of course, nothing more than that. I have nothing against it one way or another. Homosexuality, it's no big deal. If someone wants to do it, do it. I mean, transgenders, I think that's a little overboard. How does that work exactly then? You you, you alter your reproductive parts? Is that transgender? I'm not too clear on that. Yeah, I think you you end up getting implants, and then you. I guess you take hormones. I guess you can change. I guess there are operations to change that, but I don't. I'm no authority on that. Hormone replacement and yeah, the whole nine yards. You mentioned Antifa earlier. We want to come back to that uh, as well as. This whole business, we kind of skipped over it, but Carl Jung, fascinating character, absolutely. Within the context of what we're discussing here at the moment, anima and animus, and I'm not sure what is which, but essentially that being nothing more than the male within the female and the female within the male. Also, what you mentioned earlier regarding uh, reincarnation, I have believed the same thing myself for the longest time. Even had one lesbian tell me that uh, on one occasion I might be right. You know, that it's because of these past life tendencies. Is that proclivities? I think there's that big word again. So you could be stuck in the, it's like stuck in the past. Sure. I mean, absolutely. Psychologically in one's lifetime. Look at people that never mature. They could be stuck in some three year old trauma or many war veterans have this. They have this PTSD. I mean, they hallucinate and they have vision and they, they get messed up. But, you know, the body could shut down. It could focus on certain areas and, and cut out other areas. And I think it's just a, uh, too much of a concentration on something from the past. I have remembered many of my past lives, hundreds of them. Not now. I don't do it much now, but I, in my 20s and 30s, I think I was the most sensitive. And uh, I remember hundreds. And sometimes people would kick it off. I'd meet a certain person. And one man I used to meet, and I, I used to call him Commander Kingman. I always thought of him as my commander. And I remember being at his side in several battles over the centuries. Are there any of these lives you could actually go back and research historically? Uh, no. Well, I have, but that the events were true. I, I could get enough of that, but not names or anything. No, I never did that. To me, it's like seeing a, a movie, but there's no sound. It's just like seeing a movie, exactly. Like watching Lord of the Rings and seeing the whole 
thing play out before me. It's hard to explain. It's like having an internal movie projector or something. Augie knows our Norwegian friend, actually, he's American now, I believe, but originally from Norway, uh, just this past week's guest. And it's interesting, too, we have the two of you back-to-back, the Norway-Sweden connection. So something, as we managed to reach out to the Scandinavian region, perhaps even ancestral spirits as well. What came up in our most recent conversation just this past week was this matter of reincarnation and how, in fact, I'm not sure if you've maybe seen the documentary on YouTube, but there was a young boy who came back and managed to track down his previous, the killers, people who sent him to the grave in uh, a previous life. They were still alive and here on this earth, obviously. So have you seen that one where he actually held him to account? No, no, no. I could believe it. And the World War II, as you talk about the war pilots and so forth, I don't know if you've seen that one either. There's been a few. They reminisce and recall stories of the war, and they come back. There's a really famous story of a young boy who claims to have been a fighter pilot. Turns out they did the fact-checking on that. Lo and behold, it was pretty damn accurate. Can I go into this a little even deeper besides reincarnation? I also think that we're multidimensional, if you think of it going instead of through time linear, sideways. If we dream of a future possibility, it's already in existence, either negative or positive, a nice life, a bad life. Maybe you had a relationship years ago with someone and it didn't work out. In some dimension, you might be married to them, living a life. You might have kids in one and no kids. You might be single in one. You might be healthy in one. And and uh, I believe the ancients could open up these portholes to different dimensions, like the bards or druids, I believe they could uh, open up and bring this energy in. And this is something I've been able to do since a kid. It's like I can see the sky open up and a whole new energy comes. Like I said, whatever gifts I have, they're natural. I came with them. It's nothing I went to classes or, or read books about or it's just stuff I, and later I've developed or found out about it, read something about it or met somebody. You know. There's a lot of coincidences. Sometimes things fall into place. One person leads to another, to another, to another. I used to visit one bookstore and books used to just almost fall out of the bookshelf. Boop. So I pick it up and I read it and I think, oh my God, this is what I've been thinking about for years. And here it is. So, um, it's it's complex and yet it's simpler than you think. But like I said, if you don't if you don't have these skills and abilities naturally, you shouldn't you know go where angels fear to tread. Yeah, Carl Jung's synchronicity once again. How certain things just seem to manifest or appear out of nowhere magically is what some would say, I guess. So just at the right time when you had been least expecting them to do so synchronicity i don't know if that's a term he coined but it's closely associated to young and there's actually one final point i just like to finish up on as far as young is concerned i don't know if you're aware or not but uh the last book that he ever wrote do you know what it was no 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 i don't on flying saucers okay i'm not big that's not an area i'm big on uh the whole ufo thing 
they have their world, their world, stay and do your thing. We're humans here and we're doing our Well, and you were just talking about interdimensional phenomenon. Uh, yes. And that's exactly what a lot of others have speculated upon, hypothesized and discussed that it all boils down to there are these entities and beings out there who have the ability to travel interdimensionally. Uh, so, you know, my father actually saw something back in the early 90s, and it did seem to just manifest out of what he said was a slit that came out of nowhere, really, just appeared in the sky. And then after it had done its thing and visited him and my stepmother at the time and sister who were all out there working on putting together a, a little bit of a campfire for a hot dog roast. It just went off and disappeared slowly once again into this interdimensional is the best word that I can come up with a uh, slit in the sky and it was done. That was it. Here's my take on the whole UFO thing. They are very advanced, but they're technologically advanced. But here on Earth, we develop in the heart, and the heart has 10 million times the power of any machine or technology. We are actually, we were probably very highly evolved. I remember reading about old Indian holy men. They could, like, be in one place, and then they would be up on a mountain waving back, and they could transport themselves, like on Star Trek, with their minds. Or they claimed to go to other planets and this and that. I remember one was saying, I feel so sorry for you white men, because you need machines to do what we can do with our minds. So When you say Indians, let me just, so we can clarify this for our listeners as well, too, let's not forget, are you talking the continent of India, or I guess it's a country, or, or the cowboys and Indians? Native American Indians. How about that? Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. But also, if you took the India far enough back to the Sanskrit days, you would you would meet people with the same abilities. But you would meet people with the same abilities on any of the continents through one time or another. I once read a book by a German man about shamanism, and he studied shamanism, and he traveled to all the continents, and he said, they were all doing the exact same procedures, uh, rituals, and having the same effects, and they never communicated with each other over the centuries. Look at the swastika, Mike. Uh, that is found so many different places around the world. On top of that, one other phenomenon I've been quite interested in and curious about are these... Uh, known here in Korea as Mutom, which if you listen closely enough, sounds like tomb, Mutom. Mu, meaning in some instances empty. I'm not sure what the exact Chinese configuration and breakdown of the whole concept would be, but these are nothing more than the, how would you describe these? Spherical or domed burial sites where people are their corpses, oh. of course, set into the earth, and that's their final resting place. I'm glad you brought that up, because I traveled a lot, and I've been to Greece and Italy, and I went in these different domes, ancient sites, and my God, when I went in, it was like I became so sensitive, and it's almost like I could hear voices talking to me, and 
what's the one outside the Vatican, the old temple? It was a the old church, the famous church. St. Peter's Basilica? I have no idea. No, no, that's I don't think so. But it's a dome and it was it was originally an ancient Roman dome. But when I was in there, I was so sensitive, and I, I incited while I was there, and I thought, oh, now I know why this thing is here. This is like a, uh, a broadcaster to go to other dimensions to open up doors. So any dome feature has this uh, something to do with communication to other dimensions or other realms. I say the divine, what what I consider, what I communicate, I just call it the divine. Because when I contact it, it has such a, uh, it's like when I really connect, the room becomes like this bright light. And then you feel this, this extreme calm and this happiness. That's why I stay away from the psychic. They're dealing with the heavier frequencies, the lower frequencies. These are more with the... Uh, Home elementals and guides these earth spirits and the demonic included in that poltergeist and these are nasty ass things you don't want to fool with these things have you actually ever seen anything along the lines of what you're talking about yeah let's say i've had dealings with them but i've never worried i've always found if i uh, use prayer, if I get in the right zone, they're more afraid of me than I am of them. So I've never been a, I always have this faith. I don't want to sound like a Bible thumper, holy roller, I'm far from that. But I mean, the Lord's Prayer now and then is a good thing. It's a protection prayer. I'm not asking anyone to come and save me, but I tune into the zone energy. I think the mistake, this is what I call the leader trap. You always pick someone outside yourself to save you or lead you or make things better for you when it's you should be going in yourself for this and develop it yourself. Poor Super J, Mr. Jesus, he has a hell of a lot to do saving all these crybabies everywhere. I remember a guy from Iceland, he was a healer, he told me, why don't you try this sometime? Why don't you give Jesus some support? You know, everyone's asking him and begging, give me this, give me that, oh, help me, help me. He says, why don't you just send him a flow and blessing? And I did this, and my God, the whole room lit up like white light. And it's like I transformed, and it's almost like I could see him in the corner of the room. It was really amazing. This is just one of many experiences. I've got hundreds of these things, but... This is how I approach it. You know, you have to be responsible. You have to take responsibility. Develop in yourself. We can't all be, you know, saints walking on the clouds or whatever. And who would want to be? Must be boring life. Sitting on some cloud all day. The name of the phenomenon in English that I'm trying to think of escapes me right now. The uh, mutom. What do they call those? Do you remember in English? The ancient burial mounds that are found all through many places of Europe, but also here uh, they use them still right up to oh, this day oh, in the Korea. Mon- the monoliths? No, 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 the dome-shaped burial oh, they, mounds. Uh, they have them in North America. There's there's a big one in Ohio, the Serpent Mound, and there's one on the Mississippi in Illinois. It's a giant earthen mound. But that was more connected to cities, and that was the ancient people. I think they go back 15,000 years or so. Isn't there a formal name that, in English, it's used for these ancient burial mounds? I can't think of it. All right. right 
it might come up here eventually before we wrap things up. And we are pretty much just looking at the clock here, maybe uh, less than half an hour now, going definitely into the home stretch. Thank you once again, though, Mike, for joining us here via Sweden, the rural area, some place, not Stockholm itself, but has unfortunately found itself in recent years uh, overrun. Amazingly, even though it is out in the rural part of Sweden by uh, what some would refer to as foreign invaders, frankly. Uh, no thanks, of course, to the liberal open-door immigration policy uh, that has been pursued largely in accordance with, as far as I can tell, the Kalergi plan. So people, if you have not had a chance yet to research this, by all means do. Uh, just a quick duck-duck-go search. K-A-L-E-R-G-I, and there you go. It should hopefully stand to answer a few of your questions. Dolmen is another interesting term, which in Korea, and you know what these are, I'm guessing, the giant rocks that are uh-huh. used, once again, to as burial markers on these sacred sites of dead ancestors, or even something like Stonehenge, I guess, is a good example of what I'm talking about here, but in Korea we refer to them simply as dol, which means simply rock. Now, isn't it something, though, with the language? I'm not sure if you found this or not, but there's a few things that are coming to mind right now as far as, my God, the ancient history and the connectivity, amazingly enough, between, from east to west, historically, uh, Sanskrit and Korean and English, there are root cognates such as an, for example, which is a negative as an anti, and then the, you know, the mama for ma, oh ma, as in mother, papa, that's here, that's present as well in Korea, isayo and isumnida, don't know what it is exactly in Sweden, but the esta is an is, is simply all that means, Spanish esta, but the krona, as some listeners are probably aware of, certainly I think that's the actual currency they use in Sweden, but it also means, among other things, a crown. In Korean, it's Wang Kwan is the word. I guess what I'm getting at here, though, is just I find it quite fascinating to the point where it almost leads me to believe that there was undoubtedly an ancient civilization internationally that existed with trade routes and exchanges that occurred. Well, I mean, even here, once again, going back to Korea, and I'm going to bring up an example that I know about in Sweden, too, you might have heard of. At the time of Jesus, there was an international marriage here between a Korean king of the Gaia kingdom, which was on the southernmost part, mm-hmm. right on the tip of the peninsula in Korea, and an mm-hmm. Indian princess, is how the story goes. So just imagine that tied into the whole business of the Silk Roads as well, too. Let's not forget, folks, along with the naval end of the equation. In Sweden, though, there's a very famous Viking horde, which actually, and don't get me started on that, you might have heard of this too, but now they're actually under this new culture minister they have in Sweden, just happens to be of African descent, go figure. They're actively now destroying and just throwing everything out that they come across as far as the Viking history and heritage is concerned. It's just too busy, too cumbersome, too much trouble to be, why bother ourselves is the official narrative or justification. But there was a famous ancient Viking uh, horde that was discovered around 
And this is interesting too, that 47, 48, because there is so much going on during that time as far as the age of apocalypse is concerned. And when I say apocalypse, all I'm talking about here is what it really means, awakening or unveiling of uh, what has long been occulted or hidden. Do you know the Viking horde I'm talking about? What they found was actually a, a Buddha statuette among, I think, a few other items as well, too. But it clearly connected what was going on during about the 7th or 8th century in Sweden to the region of Gandhara in northern India. They were quite the merchants. The Swedish Vikings, they went east. So they were in uh, Baltic nations, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Latvia, Ukraine, and Russia. Actually, the word, the Russian word comes from the uh, ancient traders, the Swedish traders. So the Swedes went east, and they were in the Middle East. They brought slaves back, so they were, I guess, in their gene pool. They're not so pure. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, Arab and, and what have you blood. So they went east, but the, then the Norwegians and the Danes, they went west. They went to North America, Iceland, Greenland, England, uh, I guess France, of course. Normandy was founded by the Northmen from Norway in France. So that whole northern section, they have close ties to the uh, Northmen. Even the king, one-time king of Sicily, King Ruger, or Roger, he was a Northman, and he kept law and order. He was a very spiritual man. He allowed all the religions, and it was a place of great learning. Before the Crusades, they went there and stopped off to learn the Arabic, to go off to kill off the ones that are killing us off now. <laughs> but anyhow, I think the world's older than we think. There was an old science fiction novel. I can't remember the name. You probably can't find it. But he was Lord something or other, and it was the history of the world. And it goes through generations. I mean, over long Civilizations start like cavemen, build up the high technology, then they destroy themselves. And he went through like 10 civilizations like this over the centuries. Are you thinking H.G. Wells? No, no, no. It was famous. You could, God, back in the 60s and 70s, it's so much good literature. It's almost like it disappeared. Well, there's a lot still out there on PDF format, I've seen. Someone could find it. I think it's something in the history of the world. He was a Brit, Lord something or other. But boy, what a fantastic book. What was the name of the king? The Sicilian king you were referring, I think is what you said. Ruger is the Swedish, but it's, it's Roger. Well, it's interesting, too, because I was thinking what they call them in India, of course, are they're the Rajas, correct? So how's that for a coincidence? But anyhow, I mean, I think of my, my mother's family came from Sicily. My uncles had blonde hair and blue eyes, some of them. That's probably so, why you're such a badass, is a Sicilian blood. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was taught how to take care of myself. <laughs> but never tell what you're up to. <laughs> well, I mean, the where you grew up there and the, the bad, you know, the, the mean streets of Chicago, too, you pretty much have to. It goes to the territory. Cousins were the worst kids in the neighborhood. It was a little mafia. So, well, I learned to take care of myself. But I was really a sweet child till I got the shit beat out of me, and I decided never again. And it never happened again. Yeah, we all got to learn to watch our step. So let me just, going back now, I managed to do a quick search here via DuckDuckGo. It was the uh, the Helgo, if people are interested in looking into this a little more. H-E-L-G-O, the Helgo treasure, and I think, it was indeed 47, 48. The time, you know, found so much happening with uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, founding of Israel, Aleister Crowley kicking the bucket. 
Roswell, all these things kind of stand in my mind as, you know, there's just something about that 47, 48 time period. There were big things taking place that really uh, managed to leave their mark uh, on history. So listen, Mike, we uh, have done, uh, I think, a pretty decent job here running the gamut. A few things that uh, were left out and kind of uh, maybe out of place a little bit, but I think everything is going to manage to come together here nicely in the end result. But what I'd like to talk about here, and this is almost like putting the cart after the horse, almost, uh, there's been the recent round of elections in, in Sweden, and the prime minister even, I guess now, was asked by his party, because of the terrible, less than impressive election results, stepped down and has been, I'm not sure, replaced by somebody, presumably. But your thoughts on the election and uh, the aftermath? Well, there is no prime minister. It's taking the same form as pretty much been all over Europe. They're trying to keep the populism down, and the the Swedish Democrats are the only populist. Well, there's another one. They're called AFS, Alternative for Sweden Party. They, in the polls, they were they thought they get three or four percent, and they got nothing. And uh, but later, people were saying that they rigged the system where one of the parties got their votes, so they just transferred their votes with the code. They did something. They're very sneaky. You know, they're following the globalist playbook. The same thing is happening everywhere in Europe and North America. I mean, Canada's following the globalist playbook to the letter right now. You're like little Sweden. What I saw in Sweden 20 years ago is what you're doing, what they're doing there. So Canada's on the way down the toilet fast. It'll go faster there, though. The globalists are in high gear now. But anyhow, with this election... The ruling party refused because it wasn't set. They refused to give up power. So our prime minister, the old one, is still prime minister. And our secretary of state is still secretary of state. And they appointed a special Tolsman, which I guess interprets the talk man. I don't know, literally. But he was to set things straight. And he gave them a, it's been over two months now. There's no government in place, no prime minister. They haven't decided on anything. They're bickering and fighting and uh, who's going to be prime minister and there are all kinds of proposals and it's going around the circle. And where it's supposed to lead is to Ani Louf, which is the center party who got, I think they got 8% of the vote. But that's the party they said they stole from AFS. They stole their numbers from there. And Swedish Democrats got 17.9 and I figure it was probably 30%. Uh, they stole the election the last year. Every year they find out ballots are in garbage cans. They're counted by the people in power, the township politics, and these are all the good old boys. So it doesn't matter what party it is, uh, they're all bent together. The major parties are the Social Democrats, the Moderates, the Left Party, which used to be the Communist Party, the Green Party or Environmental Party. You have a center party, a liberal party. It used to be the folk party. They changed their name. Uh, there's FIFE, FE, that's the feminist party. They only get one or two percent. They're real cuckoo birds in that one. Uh, but basically, it doesn't matter what party's in. Uh, when the social democrats are in, they form alliances. Social democrats, the environmental, the left, they're all together. And then on the other side, they're like, Democrats. They're like the Hillary Clinton crowd. 
On the other side, you have the moderates and the uh, liberals, the center, and the Christian Democrats. That's the other party. And they all form an alliance. You know, the one with the most percent of the votes takes over the government. Uh, But really, you don't vote for a person in this country. In Sweden, you vote for the party. So all it goes into a big pool. They put these names on checklists, but it's all BS. They appoint whoever they want. I always see the posters. Who's ever on the billboard or the poster, that's the one that is put in office. The whole system is fixed here. Corrupt like hell. Every year it's the same. Ballots are lost. They even threaten people openly in the ballot. I saw it myself. I saw a Swedish Democrat, that's the uh, Populist Party. I saw them yelling at a young woman, telling her she shouldn't vote. She was mad like hell, and they wouldn't put it in the ballot box. I mean, it's crazy what they do, but there's no accountability here. There's, I mean, this is a society where if you want justice, you go to the state for justice, and the state is the one doing the dirty work against you because everything goes through the state. Did you just say that there is uh, rampant voter intimidation at the polling stations in Sweden? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. They threaten people. They get away with their good old boys. It's like it's like small town America almost. They're not very sophisticated. I say uh, the top is like you could put them at the level of small town America. The current prime minister, Mr. Uh, Levine, Stefan Levine, he never finished uh, gymnasium. That's like American high school. Two years, never finished. Levine, that's a nice uh, Jewish sound name, is it not? Well, it could be. Well, there's a lot of Jews in uh, Sweden, a lot of the bears. There's a big Jew population. Eisenhower was one, apparently, interestingly enough. Not too many people well, know this. Yeah, they pretty much control the media here. But, I mean, like my mom told me when I was a little boy, the Jews always go for the easy money, entertainment. Banking, finance. Prostitution, uh, maybe porn. Music and art and stuff. They go where the easy money is. But they're clever. I mean, everyone blames the Jews on everything. But to me, the Jews are just workmen. The mafia, you see, is them to keep the books. And think of it, desert tribes, you have to be pretty shrewd to survive. You know, when you're a small group and you got all these people around you trying to kill you, you have to be clever, very clever. So, I mean, people give them too much credit. They're more uh, useful tools. No, they have a good intelligence. They're not They're not dumb at all. So oh, no, really, I mean, the Mossad is renowned, the world's top, outside of the Vatican, of course. <laughs> Everyone goes to the Vatican if they want to know something. That's the way to well, do it, apparently. So. Well, I had someone in high... He was high in intelligence, military intelligence. He told me that uh, when the U.S. or Russia wants to kill somebody, they don't want to get their hands dirty. They hire Mossad to do the job for them. So they work for the, you know, I guess the highest bidder. But, I mean, Sweden's the same. Our current Secretary of State, you know, she's still running around. She's an idiot. But anyhow, she never finished. She did two years of gymnasium. So you can imagine so, I mean, these are the kind of people, and they're all, we had several cabinet ministers like this. They never even finished high school. But how politics work here is you start out in a youth party, and it's pretty much a big drunken orgy thing, and uh, you talk a lot, and you learn the BS, and then they appoint you to positions. So then you get in the parliament. Usually you start out in lower positions the county, then you end up in the parliament. So it, it's all like uh, they're pretty much political inbreds. It's the same families over and over and over and over. And uh, 
pretty much it's the same families that run, a few families run everything, and they're related to royals, you know, going back. I guess the great-great-great-great-grandfather chopped off a lot of heads or was ruthless, so. Look, we got the Bushes, of course, family dynasty yeah, there. We got uh, the Kim, Kim Jong-un, and that goes back a couple generations now. Trudeau, I mean, hey, it's it's like father, like son. and You're inbreds. Kennedy's. You're wealthy inbreds, and which were mostly criminals. But the history is never what they say. But anyhow, so so they're still fighting. It's been it was September 9th, the election, and there's still no one. But they're pushing for I call her little Annie Fanny, Annie Louf, the center party head, and she's a total airhead. She made a statement two years ago that said, "Oh, Sweden could handle 40 million more immigrants." Sure. Sure thing. You know, think of the common sense it takes to, to say a statement like that. And then about two weeks later, it came up to 30 million. But still, this is a country of 10 million. And the people coming in are 100% on welfare, on BDROC. They call it BDROC benefits. So how can, how can a system handle that? I mean, a social system, all these people in America dreaming of free stuff in a social system, they don't realize it's built upon high taxes. Income taxes, taxes on goods, the gasoline here, it, it's, my God, it's like 16, 17 crowns a liter now. Nine dollars a gallon to fill up your gas tank here. And, and when the gas went down, the price never went down. They just increased the taxes. They just put a new tax on. They're very creative at taxes. All white goods, all electronic goods like computers, the price raised a thousand to two thousand crowns in one year. The government stuck a one thousand crown charge on top, tax on top of everything. Did you say all white goods? That sounds pretty racist to me. You know, refrigerators. <laughs> but anyhow. What, no, I'm sorry. What, what are white goods? I've never heard the expression. What are they exactly? Refrigerators. Oh, big ticket oh. items. Big ticket yeah. items. Sure. Dishwashers, washing machines. So, and, and all computers. Uh, I mean, you could get a uh, decent laptop that works okay for two to five thousand Swedish crowns. Uh, few years ago, now they're up to, uh, you can pay up to 10000 12000 And Apple, you used to buy an Apple brand new for about seven, 8000 crowns. Now they're up to, oh, I saw one on sale for 9000 up to 12000 up to 18000 Mike, what does that work out to be in dollars? Nine Swedish crowns equal one U.S. dollar at this point with the fluctuation. The crowd is very weak here. So for me to move money, Swedish money, to America, I lose my shirt on that one. Unfortunately, I move most of my money here. So if I move money from America to here, it's a pretty good deal for me. Or if I get an American pension here, which I, it's not time to cash in on that yet. I have to be 66 to get the pension at my age. But that will be quite a, a good pension by Swedish standards. It's tax heaven, and the population is very submissive, and they pretty much go along with everything. Um, how can I say? They hate conflict. They will do anything to avoid. I guess they're sort of like Asians. They will do anything to avoid conflict or lose face. They're very secretive. They're, they don't talk. They don't trust anyone. It's not an open society. You have to be very careful what you say. 
say I'm in the workplace, I'm a teacher, and I say, oh, I'm going to vote for a Swedish Democrat, I'll be out the door the next day, they'll fire me. So I'm, I swear, this is serious. Many people have lost their positions. It's mostly in the political jobs, but I guess 50% or more of the economy here is uh, political. Everything is state money. Everything runs on tax money, even private industry. They started privatizing schools and, and the, the health system, and they're making a fortune. Big banks are behind a lot of it, too, I'd imagine, you would think. Uh, yeah, well, the thing, I mean, think of everyone in America thinks the Federal Reserve is owned by the U.S. government. It's not. It's a private, it's a Rothschild bank. And the Swedish Riksbank, which is the country bank or something, national bank, is owned by Rothschilds, too. But all the central banks in the world are pretty much owned. The ones that aren't are being bombed now, or they're being intimidated into being. Well, yeah, they want to invade them, and and North Korea is is one example, I guess. And I'm not sure who else was on the list. I think Syria, of course, too. I mean, this the one head of her party, center party. She was at the Bilderberg meeting in Virginia, and they got her on tape. And I mean, the the tinfoil hats here know about her, but and and I. You know, okay, I do. She's the prime minister because every other one as far back, going back 30 years at least, have all been picked by the Bilderberg Club. This is globalist central. Watch Sweden. What have, This is like they're the lab rats for the globalists. They try everything first here and do everything here. And everything fails, but they project it out to the world like it's a big success. Because how many people can speak Swedish? <laughs> I mean, unless you read their, if you read their news, you wouldn't believe it. It's like the uh, uh, national, uh, what's that, what's that, you know, where they say the cow married the... National Enquirer. Cow. Yeah, it's at that level, their media. It's so bad, and everything is written so bad. The education system is so bad. It's all political. If you have the right name, you go right through, you get your degree. It's a crazy place, but you find this in your world. I shouldn't be too hard on them. I mean, the Americans have gone wacko, totally spineless, most of them, today. And I'm from there, so I have the right to say it. Don't be mad as hell at me now. But I'm a different generation. My father's generation, all my uncles, they all went through World War II. They were all vets. They were tough men. They spoke direct. They gave their opinion. And, and we accepted them. I mean, we had Republicans in the family. We had Democrats. And they were the family. You know, that came first, always. Been a lot of pussification taking place yes. here over the last uh, number of years. As, as George Carlin, I think, came up with that word, from what I can tell. But, hey, uh, Mike, it's been really great to have you here. We've pretty much uh, run the gamut or as I sometimes also like to put it, gauntlet, covering a lot of ground, tracing things back to your childhood days in Chicago, right up to your life, new life in Sweden, of course, after uh, you left America, of course. And I think you said you've been there for the last 12 years or so now. And, uh, you know, a lot as well. to visit my parents about four years ago. I went for two weeks and... Uh, it was quite an experience. It was like visiting a foreign country to me. Strange, little culture shock. I feel the same way with respect to Canada. Uh, last time I was back was 2007, and I've got really no intent on returning anytime soon. Just kind of watching the whole dirty 
mess unfold here from afar as a spectator, something of a commentator, I suppose, too, really, but uh, have my own gig here in South Korea and happy, well, as with you, just to watch things as it all. What I was going to say is, as of December 11th, the new UN uh, Act goes into effect, which makes migration a human right. So this is going to open the doors. Uh, America didn't sign it, and there's a half the Hungary didn't sign it, Poland, uh, maybe Slovenia, Italy, but it's going to open the door. Canada might get uh, 50 million people flooding in, and and that's going to be the end because. I'm already making plans to get out. Otherwise, we were planning on getting a small place in a very rural area, a small house, really in the countryside where you don't have a neighbor for a couple of kilometers. There's many places in Sweden like that still. And uh, But I think the right now I can see people, they say, well, it's slowed down. They're lying. They're flooding. And, they're just, and the more they come in, the energy, it's not just people and, and violence and crime and stealing. But it's the energy. It's sort of a blackness comes in with them. Not a, you know what I'm saying, a blackness of energy. A dark spiritual energy, I guess, is probably what you're talking about. It's almost like this evil follows them uh, as they come in. And it's, it's, uh, so I don't know. We have some ideas. I won't say where, but it's either another place in uh, uh, Europe that's not too uh, immigration friendly. They don't like to go there because they don't get many benefits. But anyhow, or it's, uh, like I said, I'm going back to the southern USA. I have still have family in Tennessee relatives, so it won't be that hard hard to move, except the, I don't know if I can take the heat living in an environment where uh, 70 degrees is a heat wave or 80 is you're dying of heat. Such a cash cow industry is what I would most definitely say the way that uh, these professional and career bureaucrats, some refer to them as technocrats, uh, are constantly on the take. You can just imagine all, all the little side deals that are taking oh. place as well, too, and the kickbacks and so forth. So uh, immigration as a human right, I don't know about that. Asylum, bona fide asylum, absolutely. You know, even the Dalai Lama is in favor of this. It's an article I was hoping to get a chance to just present to you and the wider audience, of course, too. But, you know, asylum for those who need it. And when your time is done, when it's safe for you to return to your country of origin, say like Syria, for example, when calm has has reemerged throughout that region, that they freely make their way back to their home country. Even the Dalai Lama, can you believe that? Saying that... uh Europe is not Arabic, and uh, lest it, as you say, with what you've seen there in Sweden, the rural areas, it become more not so much Europe as Eurapia. So, yeah. but anyways. But I'm saying, but people don't know it, but 90%, 90 to 90% of all immigration to Europe is, is uh, human trafficking. You have to get a smuggler and pay him. It used to cost ten to 20000 uh, dollars, US dollars to get in. And then they have, they're in all the agencies, they have people inside. It's all corruption. And, uh, it's a billion and billion, billion dollar industry, this immigration. And they're only coming for benefits. They come to, they, that's why they seek the North out. They get so much, you can't believe, I won't go into it, but you can't believe 
what they did. They live like they would be like millionaires or upper middle class professionals in their own country. And all I can say is the people coming in now, if you scrape the bottom of the barrel, that's what you're getting. Uh, no education from zero to maybe two years education. That's why they say they have low IQs. Of course they have low IQs. IQ is based on our Western system of education, knowledge, information. I mean, of course they have. They don't have any. I mean, they're, they're at um, what we would consider retards. Actually, uh, in America, under 70, I think you're mentally retarded. So this is what you're dealing with. These are the kind of people that are coming. That's the reality. People can fluff it up all they want and have their warm thoughts and humanitarian things, but this humanitarianism is going to kill us all eventually. It's just people, as you say, exploiting the system. Of course, I would be doing the same thing myself if the door was thrown open and there was all of these great benefits being offered, these huge incentives. Anyone would do it. So really the people that are to be held to account and are to blame are those who are at the highest levels, not just in Sweden, but in America, in Canada, in France, in Germany. It is right clear across the board, folks. And, you know, without, I don't know how it's going to change, frankly, and how they will be held to account, but you need, clearly, it's beyond me how things are going to change. All we can do really is is just watch, and uh, I'm in no place to really take any, you know, serious political action, becoming an engaged citizen, as it were, other than using my voice here, doing what I can to help provide a platform for people to join us, share their stories every week and sometimes it does get a little political and I think that's what we did here over the course of our conversation with you Mike. There were points and, and times where current events and what's happening there in Sweden at the ground level, that's why we wanted to talk to you, but also your your personal history and uh, life story of course and these uh, the gifts that you have uh, referenced, quite fascinating intriguing and very uh, much something I think that listeners will be interested in in knowing more about. You can be reached via a multitude, I guess, uh, several platforms online, Gab, Minds.com. I have a blog spot. You certainly do. It's it's uh, mnhopkins.blogspot.com. Also, poemhunter.com. Also, we should tell you, you do, because you did uh, join us here this week that you took the time to and and made the effort to uh, be a part of things, we're going to give you, as we do all guests who join us, a complimentary subdomain uh, network in-house URL, courtesy of WPRPN, so captain's orders. You know, and speaking of the captain, we did not actually ask you each and every week what we typically do with our guests is in order to gain admittance and to board the ship here that we call the Robin Hood. We ask guests provide a bit of a pirate story. Once again, kind of putting the cart after the horse, but well, maybe we'll give you a free pass on that one this go around because we did talk a little bit about the Vikings, of course, and the Helgo Viking treasure and so forth. That probably, well, that, I, I'm sure, I remember, I remember three Viking lives, so maybe that passes. Well, in brief, no, we, any no, details? Or is that a no. joke? No, no, it's true. Right, sure. That's why you've probably, you could easily 
see that as could I. It's why people return to certain parts of the world uh, in this form is because they've been there before. I myself often wonder whether I've been to Korea or Asia before, and in some ways I think that may have been the case, believe it or not. So just any closing thoughts or comments, Pirate Mike Hopkins? No, no, I think I've, I've said enough. I could have gone into detail. I could talk probably another eight hours because my mind's the kind it runs. I talk about one thing and then I see 10 other things and it all interrelates and I want to go there, but it doesn't work. There's time limitations, but I don't know that we carried so much. I mean, I don't know that we did talk so much about the election, but that's politics. It's not so. It's pretty much the fix. It's the boys club and a fixed game. And it's the globalists running things right now or Satanists or whatever. So it's, it's a pretty messy world right now. And, uh, my vision is it will get better, but it'll be thousands of years. It, it is going to be a rough ride for a long time for humanity if we don't self-destruct. But then if we do, remember, there's other dimensions, there's other times. When you reincarnate, you don't have to go in progression. You could go back 500 years or 1,000 years or 50,000 years. If you want, you have that right. You could go anywhere. You don't have to incarnate. You know, karma's a big trap. It's another lie. You're an eternal being. You could do what the hell you want. But the thing is, it's probably pretty boring being an eternal being. You know, we like to play... I guess we're like big kids. We like to play and try out different clothes and suits and parts, hero, villain, whatever. So it's a long, eternity is a long time. <laughs> Actually, it's no time because it's not limited. You know, you have the infinite and the finite. So we're in the finite now and uh, looking out for these eyes, we're limited. So anyhow, we don't, we can never get the whole picture. So when we get out, we see more. But my my philosophy is take it easy, keep balance, don't let anyone trigger me too much one way or another. And I mean, I'm speaking pretty freely today. I probably broke several laws. I probably ready to go to jail, but fortunately, they probably won't find this. <laughs> no offense. It's like uh, Stalin's <laughs> former head of secret police so famously said. Show me the man, I'll give you the crime. You know, yes, so. But I don't even, I don't even think like that. Fuck them. I openly say, screw them. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Stalin, it actually dovetails into what we were discussing earlier with respect to the elections, any elections, frankly, and voting that, uh, another quote, and I'm going to paraphrase now, but essentially that it matters not so much who casts the votes as who counts them is what he, Joseph Stalin, former mm -hmm. dictator, head of uh, state of Russia, told the world. So, how mm -hmm. you know, that's giving you, us a little inside baseball, obviously. And as I mentioned, it's these people in power. It's the foxes in the city halls and the that are counting all the votes. And so, you, you know, so the chickens don't get a very good deal in these parts. Well, folks, friends, foes, and fellow pirate mateys, time to put a fork in it. That's this week's feature stream, episode 130 of Pirate Radio Podcasts, pre-recorded out here on the high digital seas. 
with our special guest, Sweden's pirate poet, Mike Hopkins. Don't forget, we've also got our 2018 Operation Secret Santa World Christmas Charity and Talent Telethon Extravaganza kicking off on December 15th and running a full 10-day period. So you'll want to be sure to keep a patched eye out for that. Be sure to join us next week, same pirate time, same pirate channel, when we present to you our annual JFK World Open House and Roundtable 2018. This coming Tuesday night, Wednesday at 1 p.m. in Tokyo and Seoul, regular listeners can look forward to our weekly installment of World Pirate Radio News. I know. There we be. Having carefully looked over each of our navigation panel instruments, checking every level, switch, dial, cable, knob, and pulley, by all accounts and indications, we indeed see it's time once again to drop anchor inside Mystic Bay and draw an end to another week of Pirate Radio Podcasts. Remember, if you're looking for a little more lively online action... Keep in mind, we've likely got yet another great free-flowing rogues gallery after show coming up for the next hour in either Skype, Google Hangouts, or Appear.im. Also, if you've in any way enjoyed or found yourself benefiting from the shows we've tirelessly produced over the past two years, you might want to drop by our Patreon tip jar page and lend a little support. Half of all network donations go directly to charity. Help to keep those numbers growing over on Patreon, and we'll be able to extend even more of a generous pirate hand. Looking forward now to the balance of 2018, we're still not quite yet booked. So if you yourself have a new, novel, intriguing, or otherwise underreported idea unique individual, or pressing item in mind, be sure to either drop us a line directly over on WPRPN.com or fire us a quick email via PirateOneRadio at gmail.com. We're always open to exploring fresh creative suggestions, intriguing guest ideas, cutting-edge discussion topics, and captivating themes. You can further embark on your own personal pirate journey by either liking, commenting on, subscribing to, or just following us via virtually any mainstream social media platform, including Twitter, Facebook, Google+, or Minds.com. So don't forget to become engaged. Until we meet again out on the high digital seas, I'm your host as always. The ship's chief communications officer, Jaffe Ryder. Tally ho.